Hello everyone, and welcome to a special, currently one-off, but we'll see how that if that's going to be an ongoing thing or not, rendition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I think at the moment we're calling this Going Deep, just for lack of a better name at the moment, though I'm open to suggestions. My name is Robert Winfrey, and this episode will be done in lieu of our regularly scheduled show because there's not a whole lot to talk about this week on the regular programming, so instead I figured I'd take this opportunity to trot out something like this, where I take a deeper look at a fight, at a fighter, at a technical-related question kind of thing, and for the opening episode I was somewhat inspired by a uh, one of Luke Thomas's uh, live chats a few weeks ago at this point, I think. And somebody, he mentioned that he wasn't entirely sure how Alexander Volkanovsky had beaten Jose Aldo, not the mechanics of it. It's something I'm sure he's been looking into, and within the next few weeks, I imagine we'll get some kind of a, of a morning combat dissected dealing with this issue, because UFC 245 is coming up. And I, when that comes out, I would, of course, encourage anyone interested to take a look at that. But I figured I'd Try my own hand at it, see what I can come up with, uh, and this is going to be the result. So, your feedback on this particular project is very important. If no one likes this, this will be a one-off. I will not do it again. But if you do like it, please make sure we know, give us a review, leave a comment. I'm, feedback's going to be kind of critical on this one. So, if you do like it, however you have interacted with this particular podcast... Let us know that you appreciate it, that you want more of it. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at WinfreeMMA. It's W-Y-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. And, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into this thing. Uh, I think it's a little bit helpful, too, instead of just jumping into the fight itself, let's set some conditions, let's kind of establish a broader framework for the discussion here. What are the conditions for success for both fighters. In this instance, Alexander Volkanovsky and Jose Aldo. And, uh, let's start with Aldo. It's a... He's the more established commodity. Now, one of the things with Aldo in this instance, I'm going to be talking about contemporary Jose Aldo. I'm sure some of... The, with some of the conclusions and some of the evidence I suggest and that we kind of move along with here, if you go back a few years, you can find... Uh, evidence to the contrary. In fact, if you go back far enough, you might find some of these conclusions or statements to be completely erroneous. Any truly great fighter, and make no mistake, Jose Aldo is unequivocally a truly great fighter, their game evolves over time. And as a direct result, I'm only going to be focusing on the most recent form of Jose Aldo, because Volkanovski fought Jose Aldo of now, not Jose Aldo of 2015. So the habits and the abilities of Aldo in 15 are significantly less relevant. I'm also essentially going to be discounting the Conor McGregor fight. It's just not to discredit Conor's win, but it's such a statistically anomalous bit of data that it doesn't really give us anything useful or meaningful to kind of work with the the circumstances around that are around that whole encounter are just so wholly unlikely to be replicated that it 
it's not very useful. Okay, so the primary condition for Jose Aldo's success. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this one because there's two that are very, very closely linked. I'm going to propose that it's nothing, that it's his defense. When Jose Aldo is at his best, especially most recently, it is his defense first and foremost that opens up everything. His ability to judge distance, to slip punches, to, and to offer powerful counters, especially counter combinations. The bulk of Aldo's meaningful offense, especially in somewhat competitive fights, tends to be on the counter. That will set up everything else he tends to do. Uh, if you need specific examples of this, the second fight between Max Holloway and, excuse me, the second fight between Frankie Edgar, we'll get to Holloway in a minute, and Jose Aldo is a somewhat forgotten masterclass from Aldo on proper defense, constantly disrupting Edgar's punching lane, shutting down his takedown attempts before they even get started breaking his clinch attempts very, very quickly, and punishing him every step of the way for those attempts. In the Jeremy Stevens fight, Jose Aldo gets hit at one point and backed into the fence, and Jeremy Stevens swings for the fences with a prolonged flurry, very little of which finds any appreciable success. Aldo is able to kind of crack him with a couple of counters, and that this gets Stevens to back off, either because he doesn't want to punch himself out, because he got rattled, any number of reasons. And Steven's passivity as a result of that is kind of what opens up the finishing sequence, that wicked, wicked left hook to the body that Aldo lands. Similarly, in the Holloway fights, both of them, where Jose Aldo has success against Max Holloway tends to come a little bit on the counter, and some of this is Max Holloway's absurd pro uh, pace and proactive approach to the fight. But the big moment in the first round, uh, Jose Aldo slips a couple of punches, lands a three-piece, if I could, if I could uh, paraphrase Jorge Masvidal, lands a three-punch counter combination, and it's easily the best move of the, of the round. Now, again, we'll touch on Max Holloway's uh, fights with Aldo more in more detail in a little bit. But the defense, first and foremost, and Aldo's ability to generate offense off of it, his ability to slip and counter, is, I think, the biggest condition for his success. It is the foundation upon which all of his success is built, especially most recently. Uh, somewhat closely tied to this, again, the, the defense and counters are very, very, almost intrinsically interlinked. Also of, worthy of discussion is Aldo's ability to dictate the pace of the fight. Jose Aldo's conditioning, while he has fought five rounds multiple, multiple times, he's been the one managing the pace of the fight. And I think that is very key to his success, especially over five rounds. So th those two things are kind of the, the base that he builds everything else off of. I mean, he has very good weapons, of course. He's a powerful puncher. He's maybe the best anti-wrestler the sport's ever seen. He has one of the best jabs. But, again, the if you crack his defense and his ability to fire counters off of it, and there's various ways, and again, we'll get into more detail in a bit, if you're able to kind of crack that code, most of the rest of his game suffers because of it. Whereas you can... The pacing of the fight can be 
a little bit uh, here and there. Chad Mendez pushed a slightly more frantic pace in the rematch between Aldo and Mendez, and Aldo won the fight. A tremendous fight. But I think that's kind of the key for Aldo, is defense, counters off of the defense, and the ability to dictate the pace of the fight. Those three things are, again, the foundation that he builds his success off of. Now, Volkanovski's a slightly different animal than Jose Aldo, quite obviously. Volkanovski's primary methods of success, first, I believe, is pressure, uh, followed closely by pace. Now, there are instances where this, not of Volkanovski, but there are certain fighters for whom the opposite is true. They love going forward, they love being the pressure fighter, but more importantly for them is that the fight itself is contested at a very high pace that they believe their opponent cannot sustain. Tony Ferguson is a great example of this. If you give him the opportunity to go forward, he will go forward. But even going backward, he's happy to seed forward pressure so long as the overall pace of the fight is more conducive to his game plan. By contrast, there's off, there's a Rafael dos Anjos, who is all about pressure rather than pace. In fact, his game struggles significantly if he's not the one pressuring forward, regardless of the pace the fight is being fought at. Uh, Volkanovski is more in the mold of being the pressure fighter. It's not that he's incapable of fighting off the back foot, but his game really comes alive when he is the one pressuring forward. And this is, again, this is married very closely with a high-paced fight. Volkanovski has shown tremendous cardio thus far in the UFC. He's never fought five rounds. But he's definitely indicated that he has a motor to sustain his offense. The other can, uh, tools that kind of facilitate Volkanovski's success, somewhat related to this, Volkanovski has a very good jab of his own. He has a very active lead leg. Uh, this is true across almost all of his fights. He kicks a lot with his left leg. Now, Volkanovski will also do stance shifting, not quite as much as Max Holloway, who's a truly ambidextrous fighter. But he will switch stance if he finds some kind of opening or the angle dictates it. But norm normally he fights out of the orthodox stance, and he is very, very active with his lead leg. Uh, surprisingly so, a lot of people forget how active he is with that unless you go back and really kind of dig into his fights. The other, I think, important thing to consider about Volkanovski is he tends to operate within the... I kind of refer to it as the Khabib meta. I'm going to get a little bit uh, technical here, so bear with me, please. But there exist at the moment two... Uh, maybe we should define what the meta is. The meta is... I believe, like, assumed best practices, or what you was, or assumed information in lieu of actual evidence, sort of to the contrary. If you've ever played any, like, competitive trading card games, something like Magic the Gathering, uh, the meta is very, very important. It's what you assume is going to show up at any major event. Do you expect more control decks? Do you expect more ag aggressive decks? And there's a number of different 
archetypes within that genre, but what you expect to show up will heavily influence your car- what you what deck you decide to bring, what kind of tweaks you might make to it, your sideboarding options. I if you've never played the game, then some of that may might mean nothing to you, but I hope the uh, I hope that will <laughs> help suffice as an example. If you're a fan of football, American football, are you more concerned about, you know, a run-based uh, offense versus a passing-based offense, mid-range passing versus deep passing, what kind of defensive schemes you're looking at trying to crack? Again, the it is the assumed... Uh, again, it's, it's all assumed with evidence rather than real-time evidence to the contrary. It's one of the reasons in football... Uh, the halftime adjustment can be so critical, especially for a very good team. You've drilled a lot of stuff based around what you assume. Now you have evidence. How do we adjust to this? In mixed martial arts, grappling, very, very broad term in this instance, has for the longest time operated within the jujitsu meta. Uh, MMA's understanding of positional hierarchies, which positions are best for which reasons, was essentially, was initially adopted wholesale from sport jiu-jitsu. So, I'm going to speak here, and these are going to be some broad terms. I know there's a lot of differences. I know there's a lot of different types of guard, but again, broadly here, bear with me. If you're on top, full guard is the worst position to be in. Half guard is better than full guard. Side control is better than half guard. Neon belly, if you can get there, is better than side control. Full mount is better than neon belly or three-quarter mount. Uh, and back mount is better than full mount. Uh, there's a variety of reasons that this is the hierarchy within jiu-jitsu. And MMA just simply adopted the majority of that initially. And you see a lot of... This is very, very true for the majority of fighters. They, If you're engaged in the grappling, you're looking to establish some control, pass position, inflict damage, look to pass again. You're just constantly progressing through positions, looking for opportunities along the way to land damage or find a submission until you achieve the best position possible. And... Again, that's been the case up until somewhat recently, the last, say, two years, maybe three. When Ben Askren recently retired, uh, first kind of started shifting away from this. If you look at Ben Askren's fights in Bellator, and a lot of this is discussed in a fantastic video by BJJ Scout that I will try to have a link to in the description of this video, that he goes into much more detail than I will here. But Askren assumed a lot of these same, uh, again, just made these same assumptions. And he would take people down and get to dominant position. But in the course of moving through positions, looking to better his position, someone with a better knowledge of the situation or better timing could escape or nullify his advantages and just force him to reset and start all over. Askren's response to this after a certain point was, I don't need to advance position. Let me find a spot where I am exceptional in this instance. And here's a very, again, I'm going to say this very, very broadly. In collegiate wrestling, it's called the referee's position. I refer to it as the ride position. I know there's a lot of different kinds of rides, especially in folk style wrestling. I use it for the purposes of, con of conversation. But you can look up either of those positions and you'll know what I mean. 
Uh, look up the referee's position in folk style wrestling, and you'll understand the basic premise of that. Instead of, again, within the uh, jiu-jitsu meta, conventional wisdom would hold, when you get to that position, your goal is then to get your other hook in, look to flatten them out and secure back mount. Rather than utilize that understanding, rather than make that motion and provide that opening, Askren simply held a good ride position and punched people in the face. And they just had no real answer for it. Now, some of that might have been the level of opposition. This was a lot of his one career. But Khabib Nurmagomedov utilizes a lot of the same philosophy. Khabib doesn't really, especially recently, does not transition through positions the same way he used. If you watch his early UFC run, he used to do a little bit of that. Now, his game revolves around finding a position of reasonable control, especially from if you're on the back and in, in kind of the ride position, fighting to strip post and utilizing every available opportunity to inflict damage while doing everything you can to retain that position. That is the sort of meta-understanding that Alexander Volkanovsky uses. If you look at some of his previous UFC fights, he's not a big passer. He, uh, his primary passing will simply be to half-guard. Then he establishes control and looks to inflict as much damage as he can, rather than placing higher priority on positional advantages. And this is an important thing to understand. It's not that this is some flawless methodology of fighting. There's, It isn't. No methodology is flawless. But it is a very, very effective way to attack the jujitsu-based and I say jujitsu in this case, not just again, the jujitsu meta of understanding position of positional hierarchies, and what you expect people to do in different positions. Volkanovsky is within the tends to fall more within the Habib school of thought than again the jujitsu school of thought. Which again, it's an important thing to understand. It's not that it's perfect, but if you expect him to fall within the jiu-jitsu meta, and he starts attacking you within the Khabib, with the Khabib meta, you you might be ill-prepared for what's coming at you. Volkanovsky, again, more on the Khabib side of things. So, with that in mind, how did this fight play out? How did Volkanovsky beat Jose Aldo? If you rewatch the fight, which I encourage you to do so, there's a few things that I noticed Volkanovsky does. First is circling. Volkanovsky constantly circles to his own right. Now, there are instances where you can find him going the other direction, as the fight dictates or position in the cage, but almost always it is to his own right. Now, Max Holloway, in one of his fights with Jose Aldo, spent the entire fight basically circling one direction and then the other, the opposite direction which may not seem like much, but is a tremendous, tremendous achievement <laughs> against anyone, much less Jose Aldo. And Volkanovski constantly circles to his own right. This disrupts a little bit of the kind of jabbing lanes that Jose Aldo likes to use. Also, the constant circling kind of messes with Aldo's offense. The moments of success Aldo has against Volkanovski are when Volkanovski stops moving. He kind of plants his feet, or he fires 
some bit of offense and then does not immediately resume circling, but rather fires it and simply resets, and this gives Aldo the opportunity to attack with a counter. The other thing, and this kind of develops as the fight goes on, and pertains to Volkanovski's lead leg. Volkanovski lands a lot of inside leg kicks, and he's very active with his lead leg. Now, these are not instantly debilitating leg kicks, but neither are they the kind of, like, slappy, connect with just the foot, and it makes a decent noise, but seems to have no impact on the course of the fight. There's plenty of fighters that have leg kicks like that. Volkanovski gets in with the shin, and he constantly lands to the inside of Jose Aldo's lead leg. And, again, these are not debilitating to the point where he is limping or switching his stance or anything, but it does seem to maybe impact Aldo's ability to plant and pivot just a little bit. It influences which leg he steps with when he tries to reset and follow and you maintain the uh, fighting stance opposite Volkanovski. And at the very highest level, finding a small but repeatedly, repeatedly exploitable opening is everything. And if those kicks combined with that constant circling in that direction gave Volkanovski just the smallest bit of an opening that he could constantly take advantage of, hey, that's... (laughs) That, again, that can be everything at the very highest level of fighting. The other couple, the other thing, well, not the only other thing, another thing Volkanovsky does very, very well, he avoids prolonged exchanges. He is very good about getting in and getting out, or getting in and then forcing a clinch, and we're going to talk about the clinch in just a second, because it's another somewhat critical portion of the fight. Jose Aldo likes to land counters. He likes to slip and counter, and Volkanovski is almost never there for those counters. Uh, Jose Aldo is not the most proactive fighter in this fight. He he lands some good jabs on occasion. He fires a few leg kicks, but Aldo's kicking game over the last couple of years has not been as prevalent as it has in the past, for whatever reason, be that a deliberate choice on his part not to be predictable, Offense or uh, techniques that his opponents are using to kind of just dissuade him from kicking as much. Uh, again, any number of things. And his kicking game is not terribly in evidence in this fight. He lands just a couple of leg kicks. But that, again, the constant circling from Volkanovsky tends to shut down a lot of it. Volkanovsky's own kicks. And Volkanovsky's, again, just not being there for the counter. He's good about landing a couple of punches and then changing the angle. And even if he misses, he throws a lot. Uh, there's a few different instances where Aldo, you know, very beautifully slips punches, but his counters never come because he sees that Volkanovski is not there to be hit. And if you look at some of the some of the fighters that Aldo has had a lot of success with against lately, even in fights he lost where he did find success being there for the prolonged exchange was a big part of it. Again, the Jeremy Stevens fight. Stevens backed him into the fence and swung for the fence and, and just swung at him in a prolonged exchange that Aldo was able to capitalize on. Hanato Moicano in that fight very rarely moved his feet away from the exchange. He was kind of flat once they got into the pocket, into boxing distance, and Aldo consistently tagged him because of it. 
uh, Max Holloway, especially like the closing sequence of their second fight, Aldo just kind of plants his feet and starts swinging at Max. And Max stays very much within himself. He is very good about managing distance and managing what's going on. He's not drawn into a firefight. But he does stay engaged, to, and part of this was Max's strategy. But he is there for Aldo to swing back at. Volkanovski is never there for Aldo to swing back at in this fight. Never. Not being an absolute in this case. Very, very rarely. Which seems to dissuade Aldo from throwing a lot of counters. The other, again, the other couple of things I think are that are very, very important. Uh, Volkanovski's fainting game. Now, Volkanovski does a fair bit of training at City Kickboxing, which is also home to middleweight champion Israel Adesanya, rising lightweight contender Dan Hooker, and Eugene Behrman, the head coach of that particular group, has stated on the record that he believes his team right now is the best in the world at faking and fainting. Now, the overall fainting game in MMA is not terribly sophisticated at the moment. Let me be clear, that's overall. There are certainly exceptions. Again, Adesanya is... I mean, I mean, exceptional barely even scratched to the surface when it comes to his fainting game. But if you look at the generalized skill set of mixed martial arts in aggregate, fakes and faints are not at the highest priority and it's not terribly sophisticated across the board. I am, that will change as time goes on. It's too valuable a skill set for that to simply lie as fallow as it has. And Volkanovski throws a lot of fakes and feints at Jose Aldo in this fight. He doesn't draw out as many counters as you might expect. It, the... One of the primary goals of faking is to show your opponent something and then you want them to react to it, to bite on the feint. And if you can really get them to bite on it, they will entirely commit their expected counter. So if I fake a right hand and your counter is going to be a left hook, a really good fake on my part is showing that you actually swinging the left hook, being out of position, opening yourself up to my offense now. That doesn't really happen throughout the course of this fight. However, Aldo does become a bit paralyzed by it. Uh, common, uh, the commentators on this fight note that as the fight goes on, especially in the third round, that it feels like Jose Aldo is looking for the perfect counter, the perfect punch, the perfect knee, whereas Volkanovski is simply going about the business of winning the fight. And your commentary team for this was, uh, well, the, the two like analysts were Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz. Certainly two of the finest minds the sport has to offer. And while I think there is certainly truth to that, I think another component is there's a bit of analysis by, uh, excuse me, paralysis by analysis going on. Volkanovsky is simply showing so many different things that Aldo gets a little bit caught up trying to figure out what's coming at him next, which is another great benefit to faking and fainting. If your opponent constantly freezes up and doesn't react at all, then you're able to do essentially whatever you want. An utter non-reaction to a faint just tends to mean you should do that again, but actually commit to it. Uh, especially if the faint 
is done within range. A good distance, a good manager of distance will not react to something that they know is not going to hit them. But uh, if you want an example, the finish to the first Nami Yunus and uh, Yin Jacek fight, Rose kind of shows that left hook, and Joanna doesn't react at all. So Rose then just lunges and throws the left hook, and Joanna doesn't react and gets clobbered because of it. And I think you get a little bit of that with Aldo. He's just uh, trying to process so much information that he stops showing a tremendous amount of his own reaction to it. And again, the the faking and fainting game from that entire team is really good. And I believe will just elevate kind of the general level of mixed martial arts faking and fainting over the next couple of years. The last element that Volkanovsky utilizes is the clinch. There's not as much time spent in the clinch as you might think if you just have, like, your memory of this fight. But there's a few things that Volkanovsky does in the clinch that really kind of neutralize Jose Aldo. Some of this is just, this is just sound clinch fighting in general. He's very good about immediately getting an underhook. Um, the first instance, it's his right arm. I think it, that's kind of the one he likes to get the underhook on. And then will immediately start hand-fighting with his other hand, either for wrist control, bicep control, his other... One hand is always committed to controlling the body or influencing which direction you can move. The other is always engaged in hand-fighting. There's a sequence in the second round in particular where Volkanovsky is able to force a clinch against the fence. His left hand is the one that gets the underhook, but if you look at his body positioning, it's much more on the other side of Aldo instead of say having a right if my if i have a right underhook and my the bulk of my weight is also on that same side it it leaves some more openings for you to kind of maneuver yourself defensively in this instance he has a left underhook but the bulk of his body is more on the right side of aldo kind of forcing him back flatter into the cage and he lands a series of really hard knees into the left thigh of jose aldo that this is the same leg he's been kicking the whole time. So, again, just finding a small, repeatable opening by damaging that leg a little bit when they're at distance and he can circle. There's another kind of aspect here that I think plays into this. A lot of Jose Aldo's breaking from the clinch, he tends to want both of his hands under his own control, be that his just the ability to willingly let go of his overhook and, you know, then build a frame, circle out safely. Very, very standard stuff. But Volkanovsky, I don't think, ever really tries to change level in the clinch as far as really committing to getting to going for a takedown. And it almost feels like at certain points that's what Aldo is waiting for to try and time an escape, time an explosion. Volkanovsky releases, you know, a going, one of his underhooks, tries to grab a single leg, Aldo then plans to down block, which is a very generalized, I know I'm using that very general, but push on the back of his head, limp leg out, move to the side. He seems to be waiting on some of that. And when Volkanovsky isn't just in a position of vastly superior control, he seems to be waiting for that timing, and this is where I think Volkanovsky's adherence to the Habib meta is also very is 
illuminating. Now, when I say the Khabib meta, I don't mean fight like Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib doesn't fight in the clinch for the sake of fighting in the clinch all that often, which is odd for a guy who spends that much time there. Khabib's goal in the clinch is to get his hands together and then uh, overwhelm you with takedowns, be that, you know, a single leg, a high crotch, a double leg, an inside reap, an outside reap, a misdirect, a a duck behind to a rear waist lock, then tripping you forward, pulling you backward. If you've seen Khabib fight, you know what he likes to do from the clinch. But next time you watch, especially a recent Khabib fight, look at how many strikes he throws in the clinch. It's not a lot. He uses the clinch to facilitate getting you to the ground, at which point he finds a he finds a position of moderate control or influence and looks to keep you there and smash you. Volkanovski doesn't commit to the takedown the way Khabib does, but the overarching kind of theme, the overarching, uh, uh, again, like condition of success, establish a position of reasonable control, work to keep them there, and find openings to inflict damage. He does that in the clinch. And... Oh, it seems like Jose Aldo's expectations still centered more around the jiu-jitsu meta, where the clinch is an avenue to get takedowns. Now again, Khabib certainly uses the clinch as an avenue for takedowns, because that's how Khabib fights. But even if you look at, you know, some guys we think of as tremendous, you know, kind of like clinch wrestlers, like Randy Couture... A lot of Randy's goal in the clinch was to you know, kind of rough you up there, but you ultimately utilize it to get a takedown. Volkanovski, again, I don't think he shoots, I don't think he ever tries realistically for a takedown from the clinch. He's content to utilize it as a position that he can control Aldo, inflict damage, and ultimately chew clock while forcing Aldo to be the one to have an answer. And that's, a, again, this is, I think this is kind of a, an important insight. Because if you, again, if you only think of the Khabib meta as pertaining to what happens when you, when you are horizontal on the mat or fence wrestling looking for takedowns, I think what Volkanovsky showed here is a slight wrinkle to that understanding. Taking, again, taking that same philosophy and simply applying it vertically against the fence rather than only horizontally or, again, fence re- within the context of fence wrestling for takedowns. He's happy to get a good position and then find consistent bits of offense and maintain it until his opponent changed the conditions of the position. There's a few different clinches that Volkanovski is the one to break out. If he loses the underhook, if Aldo's able to kind of pummel in or start building a frame, he wants to break on Volkanovski then wants to break on his terms rather than Aldo's and expose himself that way. But I think that's kind of just... It's hard to say this. that's the story of the fight because that does somewhat leave out what all this accomplishes in a very real way relative to Jose Aldo. 
But if you, again, if you rewatch the fight, pay attention to these things. Pay attention to Volkanovski's lead leg and how frequently he utilizes it. Pay attention to how much he circles to his own right and how that disrupts some of Aldo's you know, offensive options. And pay attention to how he clinches and when he clinches. Uh, he always tries to clinch again when he can get to the fence very quickly off of it. He doesn't want to clinch in open space. And again, pay attention to those things when you're rewatching the fight, and that will, I think, make some sense of what I'm about, to, kind of the conclusion <laughs> I'm about to draw here. With regard to Jose Aldo, there's a now what I consider a somewhat famous line of commentary from Jimmy Smith about middleweight Yoel Romero. He said this in the, I think it was the rematch between Romero and Robert Whitaker. He noted that Yoel Romero is either in, he's either unloading or reloading. When Romero goes, there is very little held back. I'm going to stretch this metaphor a little bit in places, so bear with me. When Yoel Romero decides to go, it is full explosion, it is empty the clip, and then spend time reloading. And there's a little bit of that in Jose Aldo. Not to the same degree as Romero, but Aldo doesn't have a lot of half speed. Aldo is more willing to engage in burst fire. He'll fire a couple of shots. Again, his jab is exceptional. He'll fire his jab. He'll fire a leg kick on occasion. He will kind of snipe at you. But the bulk of Jose Aldo's meaningful offense is those counter-explosions, is those moments when he unloads the magazine. Now, Max Holloway defeated Jose Aldo, I believe some of this was his own words, by making him do Jose Aldo things at an unsustainable pace. Max Holloway constantly is, you know, fighting Jose Aldo. He's constantly touching him, fainting at him, punching at him, making him slip and counter, making him readjust, making him fight the entire time. Essentially, making him unload and then try to reload amidst heavy counterfire at an unsustainable rate. And ultimately, this is successful for Max both times. The nuance of how Max accomplishes that in both fights are slightly different but the overarching theme of it is the same. Make him unload until he can't, until he has nothing left to fire, punish him while he's trying to reload, and then repeat until the sheer, until the accumulation of damage and the sheer pace of it all becomes unsustainable for Jose Aldo. Volkanovski takes a different approach. Whereas Max Holloway was content to engage in a firefight with Aldo at various points. Again, prior to him dropping Aldo in their second fight, he lets Aldo swing back at him. A lot. He's willing to engage on those terms. Volkanovski never gives Aldo a chance to fire at all. Which is, in all honesty, remarkable. It's it's something you really have to pay attention to when you rewatch the fight. But he threw again, circling, attacking the lead leg, constantly faking and fainting, 
a little bit of stance switching here and there just to kind of reset Jose Aldo's mind. Clinching off of either clinching when he believes it appropriate, be that because he landed something or because he missed something and just doesn't want to give Aldo space to fire a counter. Jose Aldo, I think, was credited officially with less than 10 strikes in the second round of that fight. Think about that for just a second. Over five minutes, Jose Aldo landed less than 10 blows. That is insane. That, again, circling, fainting, clinching where appropriate, overloading his reactions with fakes and feints. Alexander Volkanovsky completely neutralized Jose Aldo. Which is not what, again, I'm not I'm not making an apples-to-apples comparison between him and Holloway, but that is not most certainly not what Max Holloway did. In fact, think about, I suppose you can think about it like this. Of those two men, Volkanovski and Holloway, which of them did Jose Aldo have more success against? Odd considering he was finished by Holloway both times, but he had more success against Max Holloway. He had no appreciable success against Volkanovski. And I know that, again, a lot of people didn't come away wowed from that fight, but that is an uh, that is an unbelievably impressive feat to take that level of fighter and to thoroughly neutralize their game. It is, again, remarkable. So, to close, what does this potentially tell us about the upcoming fight between Holloway and Volkanovski? Now, Max Holloway, very clearly not Jose Aldo, but there are a few things that I think... And look, I need to do a deeper study of Max Holloway's most recent fights. And I will prior to that fight, uh, prior to the 245 preview show, I will do a deeper dive on those performances from Holloway to try and get a better sense of him. But there are a few things that I think we can pay attention to, or at least keep in mind when we try to predict that fight. Volkanovski possesses the most thoroughly modern MMA game of anyone Max Holloway has fought recently. Volkanovski will fight uh, at distance, at kicking distance, in the pocket if necessary. He fought Chad Mendes a lot in that space. In the clinch, has good wrestling. Again, you don't see it in the Aldo fight, but or really the Mendes fight, for again, for reasons. But... Watch some of his other fights. He has a very, very good offensive wrestling game when he chooses to use it. And the adherence to, again, more of the Khabib meta, which is not at all something that Max Holloway has had to deal with recently. Max's most recent opponents have been Frankie Edgar. And Frankie, while a very, very good fighter, has not... Uh, I'm going to have to, again, I'm going to be rewatching some of these fights, and I might have a different takeaway at that point. But Frankie's game is very, very similar now to what it was three to four years ago. There's been refinements, but there hasn't been a lot of evolution. Uh, Dustin Poirier, who, at lightweight, want, uh, he wanted that fight to be on the feet. 
Dustin Poirier's primary asset at lightweight is his punching power. And he gave Holloway problems. And in fact, if you can find it, I don't know if it's still up or not, but Jack Slack has a filthy casuals guide to Dustin Poirier that goes a little bit into detail about Poirier's defense in the Holloway fight and how that kind of threw off Max. But not a lot of clinch fighting, not a lot of wrestling. And then Brian Ortega, who, while a very, very good fighter, not much of a kicker and not much of a takedown threat. Volkanovski is able to fight and not only is able to, has shown a willingness to fight across all areas of the sport depending on what he believes is necessary to the challenge in front of him. Volkanovski's kicking game is something that Max will have to address because it doesn't get a lot of press, but the kicking game of Volkanovski sets up a lot of the other stuff that he does. And the clinch is another area that I... Again, there's some of Max's fights I have to go back and rewatch. But the clinch, I think, for a Volkanovsky-Holloway fight will be very telling. Alexander Volkanovsky is an incredibly strong human being. There are positions in this fight with Aldo that he just overpowers Jose Aldo. And Jose Aldo is not a weak man. I think that's, I think that's again, another area that will be very compelling for that fight. I can't wait for that fight. But I, I think if you look at Volkanovsky's performance in the Aldo fight, his ability to analyze what Jose Aldo does and then come up with a game plan that completely neutralizes it, is that is incredibly impressive. Now, this fight itself... Now, when, I'm going to make a statement here, but the fight itself might play out very, very differently when we get to practice. But on paper... I think Volkanovski is the biggest challenge to Max Holloway at featherweight that exists right now. All right, that will wrap us up here. Thank you very much for listening. I always appreciate it. Again, your feedback on this one is appreciated. I want to know if you like this. Uh, again, me talking again. If you like a more kind of focused look at this stuff, if you like. Uh, the format, I'm kind of working from a script or an outline for the first time in a long time. I prefer to speak extemporaneously because I get less stressed about it and I try to micromanage my own production <laughs> a little bit less. But if you found this more helpful, and I'm happy to go through the process again and kind of refine it. But that will do it for this evening. Th- uh, well, whatever you happen to listen to this. Thank you again, everyone. However you found this product, interact with it a little bit. Be that a thumbs up. Uh, a star review. Again, comments are really appreciated here. I would like the feedback to know if you want more of this. This one's on you guys. Uh, the you know the mostly weekly show, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, is going to continue. If you want more of this, I'm going to need to know that you want more of this. So I, I'm not normally the kind of guy that says, please, please feed my ego, but I will require feedback on this if I want to try and make this a somewhat regular occurrence. But that will do it. Thank you again. Stay safe out there. Holidays are coming up. I mean, I know if you're Canadian, you already had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming up here in the United States. So stay safe out there. And please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.